0: So we've got chapters 10, 11, 12, and 13, four chapters left in the Schaefer book. And these are the best chapters, these are the most important chapters, it's all been leading up to this, and I've been reading through chapters 10 through 13, and it's got really amazing insight into where society is gone in the last 40 years. I wish I'd read these chapters 20 years ago, then I probably would have been able to explain understand and expect a little bit more of what we've seen happen in recent years. Uh, But I think they're going to be great chapters if you take your time, if you read them, if you understand what's there. It will really help you to understand the course of Western civilization, which is the culture we live in, and help us to be able to see how we, as those who have a different worldview from the secular humanism or the postmodernism around us, are vital to the culture, vital to the ethics, vital to, most importantly, eternal life, and not just temporal, but for eternity. It's just, the the truth is so important. It has so much impact upon everything. It's amazing. So, I'm looking forward to completing the Schaefer book with you, and we're gonna finish that up here in the next uh, month or so with those four chapters. And then we're gonna also be starting the second textbook, And I, you know, first time teaching this course, so I wasn't exactly sure what the pace would be for everything. But I am looking forward to getting into Study to Show Yourself Approved by David Reed. Uh, Nod your head if you have this book and the study guide or the exam book that goes with it. Um, If you don't have it, you're going to want to make sure that you have it this week because we're starting to read it. And it'll be beginning with the introduction and chapter one. So this week you're going to be doing, let me go ahead and give you the assignment then for this week since we're on the subject. You're going to read chapter 10 and watch episode 8 for Francis Schaeffer. So chapter 10 goes along with episode 8 and it's about art uh, and music and culture and how those things have died as a result of the empty philosophy of the world. And you'll be surprised because Pop culture and pop art is like way behind where you know the high art is. And when you start to figure out what the art is that represents the philosophy and the worldview of the, the secular humanist world, you'll just shake your head and say, well, that's not art. So it starts off by killing theology, and then as a result of killing theology, they kill philosophy. Oops. And then as a result of Killing theology and philosophy, the art dies, and the music dies, and the culture dies, and everything dies. Because without God, there is no life in anything. Now, the pop culture that we live in still borrows a lot, still steals a lot from the biblical worldview. Uh, so you've got a mixture of this nihilism together with some kind of rational, biblical, moral worldview. Uh, but That mixture is getting less and less, and you see a lot more of the emptiness and the nihilism even in the the popular culture and the pop art around us. So, that'll be a great chapter, and I enjoyed watching it, and you'll enjoy watching the video. The video is really good for this one because it is able to show you the art and able to show you, uh, let you hear the music, uh, which you can't get from a book. You can't hear the music. You can see the art, but you can't hear the music, and so... I really appreciated that aspect of the video. Also looking into some of the film that represents where mankind has come in their existential nihilism. Alright, so that's the assignment for the Schaefer book. What chapter? 10. Yeah, chapter 10. And what episode? Eight. Eight, good. And then also I want you to start into the David Reed book and you'll read the introduction and do chapter one. Now, each chapter has several principles within it. So don't just do the first principle, do the whole first chapter. And you'll want to also carefully read the introduction. The introduction has a lot of important information in it. And then the study, uh, the exam booklet, let me get it right. The exam booklet for Study to Show Yourself Approved has an exam for each chapter. And here's how we're going to do it. After you've read the chapter twice... So the first time you read through the chapter, you read it through fast just to get a, a general idea of what's in there. The second time you read the chapter, you're going to read it more slowly and you're going to have your Bible open. Because this is a book about Bible interpretation and it's going to give you a lot of specifics on well how to interpret this passage in the Bible according to this principle. So you're going to want to have your Bible open and be looking at the verses in your Bible to be able to make sure that you see it and understand it. And you're applying it, that you're not just taking David R. Reed's word for it, but that you're checking it out yourself by always going to the Bible. That's always good. That's why I encourage everybody to bring your Bible to church. Read it uh, in the context. Don't just take uh, any pastor's word for it, but be a good Berean. Search it out to see, is that really what the Bible says? Because a lot of things get snuck in there that uh, don't really belong, and I probably do it too. So, why do we want to do David Reed's book together with Francis Schaeffer's book? Well, because Francis Schaeffer, what he's done is he's shown the dead end that the secular humanism, the rationalism, that the man starting from himself and being the measure of all things—that's a, a dead end as far as getting to any knowledge of truth and meaning and ethics. How are we supposed to live? And so the Bible is the alternative of believing that there is a God and that God has spoken to us. And so in order to be able to have truth and knowledge and meaning and a knowledge of right and wrong and how should we live, well, then we have to interpret the Bible correctly. We have to handle it accurately. And so I think David Reed's book does a great job of teaching us to do that. I've used it before with other apologetics classes and like this age group, and the the students got a lot out of it, and that's why I'm coming back to it, and tying it in with how should we then live, because you get to the end of how should we then live, and it's kind of depressing, Uh, it's like, ah, you know, everything's dark, and there's no meaning, and uh, there's terrible music, (laughs) Um, and so it's nice to have something positive there to, to pair with it, and we'll enjoy getting into God's word together. So, that is the plan for the rest of the year, those two books, and along those lines, we are going to have a second round of speeches. I'm just about done compiling the topics for the second round of speeches, and they're all going to be coming from the second half of Shaper's book. And so, like before, you'll be able to choose between an informative speech, a persuasive speech, or an illustrated oratory. And I want you to pick one of the ones that you didn't do last time, so you can't do the same kind of speech you did before and then finally there'll be a final exam on each one of the books at the end of the year of course the final exam for study to show yourself approved will be taken from each of the exams at the end of each chapter which we're going to be going over in class so you you read the book twice i don't know if i finished explaining you read the book twice the second time with open bible and more slowly and then you look at the exam booklet And if you have a hard time answering the questions in the exam booklet, well then you gotta go back into the chapter and find the answers, review the material again. So you should be able to answer all the questions in the exam book after reading and rereading the chapter. If not, you might have to go back and do it again. And that repetition is the key to learning. And so the exams are not going to be graded like uh, a quiz in class, because you 've got the opportunity to do it at home, but i don 't want you to to look in the book and find the answers uh, it 's not an open book exam it 's a closed book exam, but then whatever you have a hard time answering, then you go back and look at the book to learn it The key is learning that 's that 's what we want and then we 'll get together in class uh, next week. And we'll get into small groups and say, well, this is my answer for number one. And then we'll make sure that we're all on the same page. All right. So any questions about David Reed's book and the assignment for the upcoming week? Yeah.
1: So for his book this week, is reading twice and doing the
0: exam. Yeah. That's going to be for every chapter. We're going to do one chapter at a time until we get through the it 17 chapters. And that's, we should have time for that. Uh, no, just 12 12 chapters. So, one chapter a week will be done in three months. That will be great. All right, so that is our roadmap for the rest of the year here. Now, I want to do a little bit of review since this is the first class back from our first semester. We covered a lot in the first semester And he didn't have any new assignments for us to talk about, so it's good for us just to take a review of the previous semester. And I want to start off with a thought or two, and then we'll get into a game, a review game. So there's a key verse that I wrote down, I don't know if I shared it with you last time. It's where in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says, what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. What is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Isn't that an interesting statement by the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, I used to be pretty impressed with the philosophers that we've been talking about here in this class. To start to talk about Kierkegaard and Hume and Rousseau and all of these guys. They, they seem pretty impressive, upon a first glance. And the world holds these men in high regard. That's what I think about when I think about Luke 16, 15. What is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The worldly philosophers that we're dealing with in this class, they are very, very intelligent. They write very well. And they're writing on the most important subjects, the most deep and the most profound subjects that the human mind is capable of grappling with and so on the surface level they look pretty impressive but when you get below the surface and you start to look at the results of what they have done well what have these very intelligent men who write very well and are dealing with the most important issues that a human mind can deal with what have they done well they've killed theology they've killed philosophy and they've killed the arts they've produced nothing but death and destruction and you see this in our culture. There's a, a popular song on, uh, on some playlist that says, maybe someday I'll understand why everything I touch dies. And that's kind of where the philosophers are. Maybe someday they'll understand why everything they touch, it dies. You ever heard that song? No? Um, so, the death that comes as a result of this humanism is an abomination in the sight of God. It's not enough to be intelligent. It's not enough to write well. It's not enough to be dealing with deep and profound issues. If you handle them in the wrong way, and you make a mess of it, and you end up destroying it, well, that's not very impressive. That's an abomination in the sight of God. And there's another verse I was thinking about as I thought about these philosophers who are held in high regard in the world of men, is what Paul writes about the learning of his age and he said that men were always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth what good is it to be a philosopher if you're never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth that's the goal of philosophy is to get to a knowledge of the truth but but these men who reject the knowledge of god are always learning and yet never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth and so It always brings me back to Romans chapter 1, and that's where Francis Schaeffer is going to end his book when we get to the epilogue. He's going to be talking about how the thinking of this world, it leads only to death, and that we have a theistic, biblical worldview, that that is what leads to life. And so we're going to be talking about that as we kind of have a review game here between guys and girls today. And so... This is how it's going to work. I've got a bunch of statements or questions that are going to need responses. And then we're going to have one guy and one girl both offer a response to that question. And it has to be a different guy and a different girl until everybody has had an opportunity to answer a question. So if you've got one person who likes to answer all the questions, well they only get one one shot at it, you might want to save, you know, that one for like the hardest questions I give you. And uh, if you find a question that, you know, you think you can answer, then you might want to raise your hand and jump on the, the question that you know. So just be wise as far as which questions you volunteer to answer, think about your team and working together as a team. Now, when it comes to evaluating whether the guys or the girls have given a better answer to the question, it's going to be somewhat subjective. I'll try to be as objective as I can. And the criteria that I'm going to try to use to judge the answers is, number one, is it accurate? And uh, Is it reflecting what we've been teaching in the class? And because hopefully we're teaching what's accurate, right? Uh, secondly, is it a complete answer? Thirdly, is it a concise answer? Uh, so we want an accurate and complete answer but we don't want you to talk for 40 minutes we want a concise answer as well and so you have to be careful not to run on like I do sometimes um, so a complete answer an accurate answer a concise answer and you know it doesn't hurt to be witty uh, if you can if you can uh, also say it in an interesting way so, that is going to be difficult to judge but i'm going to do my best to judge the guys versus the girls on the answers as we go through some of the things we've learned in the first semester here together especially uh there's some recency bias in these questions there's going to be a more heavy focus on what we've talked about lately all right so the first big idea and this is probably the most important one and i I want us to You know, have the girls go first. We'll let ladies go first on this one. I want you to explain why, when man starts from himself, with this autonomous human reasoning, why can he not arrive at objective meaning or values? Why, when man starts with himself, with autonomous human reasoning, is he not able to arrive at objective meaning for life, or values, ethics, how we're supposed to live our life. I who wants to volunteer to give me a accurate, concise, witty answer to that question. I know it's pretty tough to start off with such a big one early in the morning. Anybody want to take a crack at it? Alright, when this is not a uh, group answer. Someone has to t- someone has to answer for the group. Tell me the time how much time you want right. I'll just count it down if you like it.
1: <laughs> um so man can't start from themselves because each man is different, and so if they start from themselves we're each gonna find different values and different ethics that they that they believe in, and those can be different from their neighbor, and so um, when they hold those, their ethics to be the most valuable,
0: they're going to end up clashing with their neighbor, and it's just going to turn into destruction. Good. Very good. Thank you. Uh, accurate, to the point, concise. I right, Which one of the guys wants to answer the question, why when man starts from himself with his own reasoning, is he not able to get objective meaning in life and values to live by? Uh, because if you start with the particulars, you can't get to the universals universals is what or the universal is what
1: makes the particulars meaningful mm-hmm. so if you start with particulars and you can't get the universal
0: if you don't have the universal then you don't have any meaning in the particulars. Okay very good now let me uh, probe a little bit on these uh, answers so I really like the answer that the gals gave because it uh, gets down into a practical explaining it to someone that isn't been a part of our class could understand what it is that you're talking about. Now, the guys I like because they had the answer that brought in so much of what we have been talking about in class, and that makes me feel good as a teacher to have that, the, the, the terms and the ideas that have been at the heart of that. Now, let me ask you, though, um, why can't we reason two universals from particulars? It uh, seems like you should be able to, you know, use your reason and go and, and look and see, well, okay, I can find the, the meaning in life, I can find what's right and wrong in life, I can get to the universals just by looking at what is, why can't I do that?
1: Oh, you want me to answer that? Okay. <laughs> well, we've got the, uh, this uh, metaphor for a glass of water. Uh-huh. You can't fill up a glass of water if you go to the, wa- the sink and turn on the water before you grab the glass. If you try to fill up the glass without having the glass to begin with, you're just going to spill water all over the floor. It's When you build up an equation, you can't get a perfect answer, a perfect solution, if you have an imperfect equation, if you have any mistakes. We're flawed, we're human. We can't start from brokenness and lead to God, but we can start with God and fix our brokenness.
0: And so are you saying that if we didn't have uh, sinfulness, that then we could reason uh, from the particulars to the universals? I don't see why we oh. If we're in perfect harmony with God, couldn't we reason that, hey, this
1: man that I'm walking through the garden with, uh-huh. he made me perfect, so I know because
0: I'm perfect, looking at myself, that I was made by him. Uh-huh. Very thought-provoking. Uh, and I like that you brought in some... Illustrations I hadn't heard there before about the, the glass of water. Uh, it would be pretty hard to fill up a glass of water without a glass. Um, so, sorry, I, I know this is copying out, but I'm going to give both of you a point on that one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, and uh, how, can, how is it that finite people can't get to the universals because the universals are infinite? Interesting, yes. Good. I think there's a, a lot of good ways to come at some of these questions, but hopefully we'll get uh, some questions here where I can do a better job of uh, determining a winner. Alright, so, next one. I want you to defend the statement, secular humanism is a religion. Defend the statement... Secular humanism is a religion. I'll give you 30 seconds or so to think about that and, and then to have a volunteer from the guys to answer first this time. I'm that You just tough because of my riddance.
1: No, stop stealing my good. I know. Stop. It's going
0: to Alright, have a volunteer from the guys? Girls who, who's the volunteer to defend the statement that secular humanism is a religion. believing in God a belief, or is it a lack of belief? But I'm I'm glad that uh, you had a good insight there. Todd, the first part of your answer over here was more to the point, uh, the fact that, you know, secular humanism has different views from other things. Uh, if, If you could have made that a little bit more clear, I think it could communicate well to someone that was trying to understand this. Remember, most people are growing up in a world that tells them that secularism is not a religion. And so to be able to defend that statement, you've got to be able to say it in a clear way. And so I think that the girls were a little bit more concise and uh, clear on that point. But both good answers. Difficult to pick. All right, next, next question. Respond to the statement, Einstein's theory of relativity proves that all values are relative. Einstein's theory of relativity proves that all values are relative. That the end of the relatively doesn't mean time travel is possible. All right, do I have a girl who will volunteer to? respond to the statement that Einstein's theory of relativity proves that all values are relative <laughs> all right. who's the volunteers
1: okay. So
0: objective truth everywhere, versus truth by yourself. Is not okay, good. Uh, guys, uh, who's my volunteer to respond to the statement, Einstein's theory of relativity proves that all values are relative? Blake? I guess I'll take this one.
1: Uh, so, simply putting it, Einstein's theory of relativity was that an object, like when you're moving, right, where your position is in life, whether you're sitting on a pier or on a train, something happening seems different or happens at a different time to your perception, like you perceive it happening at a different time. So just because you perceive a truth happening differently because of where you're at in life doesn't mean that truth doesn't happen. He is stating that just merely the way that something happens is gonna be different perception to each people. And to put that on the thought process and truths and God, is throwing away everything that he said. Because if he would have said that truth is relative and it is based on a person's perceptive, then that statement he said would automatically be wrong. It would contradict itself. He knew that it wasn't that. He was smarter than that. He was simply stating that the way you look at something can be different from if you're moving 100 miles an hour or walking. That same thing is true for us. If we're Walking with God, something's going to look different to someone who's running
0: down the wrong road. Okay. Good. So I like how the guy's response, he helped explain what the theory of relativity is. And it has to do with time and how we experience time relative to the motion of the universe. Uh, and that's a fascinating the area of study is the time something that we still don't know what time is. We don't know why time goes in one direction, doesn't go back in another direction. Uh, Everything else in the universe can go more than one direction, but time only moves in one direction according to our observation of it at least. And so anyway, I I did like that he pointed out what the theory of relativity was, but I am gonna give the point to the girls uh, because I think it was more concise and gave less wiggle room for the unbeliever, because in your explanation, Blake, I could have thought, well, if I can perceive time differently, why can't I perceive ethics differently? And you did answer it, but in a way that still left a little bit of confusion in uh, the mind of the unbeliever. So, great answers both. Um, And I'm impressed that you guys are on this, because I'm not asking easy questions. as a follow-up question, this is not for points. Uh, what is Heisenberg's uncertainty principle? Anybody know what Heisenberg's uncertainty principle I'm is? <laughs> Can I begin my answer now that I've been given the information? Uh, no. <laughs> Nobody knows what Heisenberg's uncertainty principle is. We can't anything. Know. Well, again, it has to do with physics. So, in in physics there's this idea that subatomic particles, we don't actually know where they are, that they have a a field of possibilities, and that when you observe them, then it appears in a certain place, but only when you observe it is it there, and that otherwise it exists in like this quantum flux where it could be any number of things uh, in the sphere of possibilities. And so it's, it's a rather fascinating concept. And it does appear to be true that when you get down to the quantum level, physics are a little bit weird. And the, the more you get down there, the, the weirder it gets. And so people have tried to use some of those things in physics to try to defend relativism and say, well, if we, you know, we can't be certain about the location of a subatomic particle until it's observed, well, then maybe that means there's, we can't be certain about... Moral truth and that it all depends upon our observation of it or something like. That. I have a simple
1: quote to explain that exact problem that you
0: have Okay, go ahead
1: They muddy the waters to make them look deeper yeah, that's good. As simple good. as it is They try to make it look like they can't prove something Because
0: they know that if they could It would disprove everything that they've been trying to make Yes, muddy the waters to make it appear deeper That's a good quote, I'll have to remember that one Alright, next one for points Yes um, Explain to me the three basic laws of thought. What are the three basic laws of thought? Guys, I'm not going to answer anymore. No. Right, so you can tell me what the laws are, and then an explanation. So not just the, the name of the law, but also uh, explain the law. All right, uh, guys, who wants to give me the three laws of thought? No, no. All right, good. Then. <clears throat> uh, gals, what are the three laws of thought? At least knew the laws so they get the point the uh, explanation of the laws was a little fuzzy uh, <laughs> so the the law of non-contradiction simply stated is that a and not a cannot both be true a and not a a represents a proposition sometimes i, I like to use p for proposition uh, so you got p and not p uh, they can't both be true P and not P cannot both be true. Um, They could both be false, Uh, maybe. No? Uh, Well, I'll have to think through that one, the basic laws of thought. Uh, Second one, the law of the excluded middle, is that a proposition has to be either true or false. A proposition is true or false. It can't be, well, that proposition is kind of true. There's no kind of true when it comes to propositions. Propositions are true or false. Um, and then thirdly, the principle of identity is that a thing is itself. A equals A. Pretty pretty basic, pretty important. And without those laws of thought, then everything falls apart. Uh, thinking doesn't work without the laws of thought. Yeah. When you say proposition, uh, yeah. what would you mean? Good question.
1: Uh, what is a proposition?
0: Well, not necessarily, you don't have to believe it's true. I could say, it's raining outside and that's a proposition even though I don't believe it's true. So, what is a proposition? A concept or theory in which to be tested. Okay, yeah, I think that uh, would be one way to describe a proposition. A proposition simply stated is a statement of fact, uh, either it's a true statement of fact or it's a false statement of fact, but a proposition is just a statement of fact. So it's not- uh, a proposition is a statement, yeah. a statement about fact, about reality. Yeah. So a question is not a proposition. Do you like peanut butter is not a proposition. Whereas Cindy likes peanut butter is a proposition, uh, it's a statement of fact. So uh, Propositional truth is believing that uh, truth can be stated in propositions. Some people don't believe in propositional truth. They don't think that we are able to uh, make true statements or make statements about truth or understand truth. All right, next one. Respond to the statement, there's no such thing as free will. We are determined by biology and environment. There's no such thing as free will. We are determined by biology and environment. And I think we're starting with the gals. So we're back to the girls' first. <laughs> That's my response
1: to anyone who says <laughs> that. I have a we're just checking my notes, <laughs> right? don't have free bill. sleep in the pills <laughs> and the gym if hey, he gets the reference, I'm so <laughs> <You're so laughs>
0: I You
1: know what? I couldn't a an Alright, gals,
0: who's our volunteer? Who hasn't gone yet? We need a volunteer who hasn't gone yet. No such thing as free will. We are determined by biology and environment. How would you respond to that? I need a volunteer in five, four, three, two, one. All right, girls, pass. I I need a guy who wants to respond.
1: Everyone's looking at you. (laughs) It just depends on your viewpoint, because if you come from a secular worldview, you're going to believe that you came from biology and nothingness. But if you come from God, you're going to believe in the morals and the theology, which they call the fact, because you have the actual base so you don't have to, you're not based off, you don't view the world from biology, you it from God's
0: um, perspective. Are you denying that biology is important to uh, formation of personality? No, it's important because, you know, like, based on where you can, like
1: form how you live, uh-huh. but it doesn't determine your viewpoint. And
0: okay, so biology is a factor, but it's not determinative, uh, or ultimately determinative. Yeah. Okay, uh, good, mm-hmm. I, I like that answer. Um, So a good question to, a good way to respond to statements is with questions. So even if you don't have a great argument, girls what you could do is say, what do you mean by free will? Uh, Or how do you know that? These are good questions that can be a response. So you don't, when you're responding, you don't have to be able to state your position philosophically or prove your position. Sometimes a good response is just a question. So I encourage you to think about that as we continue on. If you come up with one and you're like, I don't know how I would defend the, the idea that biology and environment are not determinative of human behavior. And so in that case, then you just want to ask good questions. Um, who was the uh, philosopher or uh, scientist who, who taught uh, that we are determined by biology and environment? You guys remember? I wouldn't expect you to, but I'd be impressed if you did. Haeckel, uh, there's gonna be a, a review game next week. Isn't it? Uh, we're gonna be able to do a review game next week on some of the philosophers that we've been studying. So some of this will sink in, you getting your first introduction to some of these guys. And I think it's, it's useful to be able to know some of the philosophers who are tied to some of these ideas and if you're going to be getting into these types of discussions. It can make you look very intelligent if you can say, well, hey, full cool thought, that uh, you know, and that type of thing. And also, if somebody references these philosophers, you know what they're talking about. All right, next one. You guys start with this one. Uh, Philosophical naturalism is scientific. Theism is not. Philosophical naturalism is scientific. Theism is not. So, take 30 seconds to figure out who's going to be responding to that statement. Can you say the science word again? Philosophical naturalism is scientific. The atheism is not. All right, guys, who's my volunteer? Jace?
1: Philosophical theism, I mean, it really depends on the definition of what science is. Mm -hmm. So that's basically my argument. What that means.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What does what mean? What does uh, philosophical theism, what does science mean? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll answer both questions after the girls get a chance to uh, give me their answer. All right, which uh, which of the gals is gonna volunteer to deal with this one? Philosophical
1: naturalism takes just as much of imagination as it does because there's a lot of things you can't prove. Philosophical
0: naturalism and that's yeah. Good. So you're getting that presuppositions that uh, can. Science prove that philosophical naturalism is correct. No, it can't. And so you can't say that philosophical naturalism is more scientific than theism because science doesn't deal with those philosophical questions. And so it's a, a matter of presuppositions. And you were both getting at that idea. Jace was on that track and, and you're on that track. Um, so what is philosophical naturalism? Anybody want to answer that one? Yeah?
1: that, like, all there is in the universe
0: is matter and energy. Yeah. Yeah, so the philosophical naturalist, I mean, views reality that the only thing that's real is the space and energy in the universe. And that uh, there's no such thing as a spirit or a god or an angel or anything that would be a part of a supernatural world. They're a naturalist. Nothing supernatural, only the natural. Um, and so, some people think that philosophical naturalism is more scientific because it only deals with science. Uh, but that's just a limiting of a worldview. It's called scientism. And scientism is not the same thing as science. And theists do great science. And so, you can't say that theism is not scientific uh, any more so than philosophical naturalism. All right. So, that was a good point. This is tough. I don't know. I just think
1: the answer like a stoner was spot on. I would have
0: I listened listen to that for hours. hours. I was trying to get yeah. If cool. you would have talked to me like that, I'd listen for hours. Right, I don't care what you're saying. So <laughs> the gals are going first on the next one, and like I said, it is subjective. Uh, some of you would, would think that the other answer might be more compelling, but I gotta make a I gotta make a choice. All right, next one. The problem is society. People are good, and we can find that goodness if we got back to our tribal roots, like the noble savage. The problem is society. People are good, we can find our goodness if we went back to the noble savage. Alright. Who wants to answer this one? Somebody comes and says, you know, people are good. The problem is this modern world we're living in. If we just got back to living in tune with nature like the noble savage, we'd find human goodness again. Who wants to respond to that? Good. Well, good is, you know, uh, looking out for people, doing what's best for other people, uh, getting along with other people, you know, happy society in tune with nature and each other. Okay, so I'm going to say that when you went back to the
1: tribes, that they they can be other sometimes, and they're not very good. I don't think Get.
0: to watch that. Good. All right, and uh, guys, who's my volunteer over here? You got brother against sister. (laughs) Um, Well, just looking back at history, if you know your history, you can't look back and say that you know the world was fine and good until the twenty-first century or the 20th century. Uh, But then you also have to think society is the one telling you this and teaching you the history, uh, and then telling you it's a problem. Yeah. So what does that mean? they say changed history, or left things out of history, there's lots that's left out of history. Uh, It's just not taught in schools. And then they're telling you that, you know, it's fine to get it until the 21st century. You got it? It makes you wonder, the people who are telling you, or not telling you. Good, thank you. Uh, I think you both were on a similar track here of saying, well, you know, that might be an idea that you would have, but just look at, you know, what has taken place in history. And you recognize that people have always been killing each other and fighting with one another. It doesn't have anything to do with modern society. It's just a human problem. So I think you both had a good answer on that one. So, sorry, I'm out again and giving you both a point. Um... <laughs> One of the books that I think helped me understand this idea very well when I was in school was The Lord of the Flies. Has anybody read The Lord of the Flies? Yeah, I guess it is kind of a guidebook, isn't it? Um, so The Lord of the Flies is a story about children who get marooned on a desert island, and then they're basically cut off from society, and they have to form their own society on this island together, and it doesn't go very well. Uh, they're not very good. Uh, you find out that tribal culture is not really what uh, you want as far as justice and fairness for everybody. It kind of turns into a, a bullying and uh, degrades pretty quickly. So I thought that was a pretty realistic look. So don't let uh, movies like Dances with Wolves or Avatar make you think that everything was peachy keen in the world before uh, Civilization showed up. Uh, that's not quite how it works. I made the mistake of reading like the book review or actually, or not the review, but like
1: the summary uh-huh. before actually reading the book. Yeah. It is way more fun to just get surprised. Yeah. Everything. Well, that's true. That's and true. To more immersive. That's the one book I'd recommend not reading.
0: It. I just spoiled it for everybody. Spoiler alert. Okay. All right. Next question. Guys are first this time. All right. My marker here. <laughs> David Hume said. Reason is and ought only to be the slave of the passions. Respond. Reason is and ought only to be the slave of the passions. Reason is and ought only to be the slave of the passions. All right, I have a guy volunteer
1: who wants to respond to David Hume. Yes.
0: Okay. Bye, down, girls. Everybody has their own different passions. So if
1: everybody, you know, just reasoned off of their own passions, then we would have a lot of different contrary reasons. So.
0: And what's that going kind to of result in? Chaos. <laughs> good, good. Uh, I think you're concise, very clear. Uh, girls, who wants to respond to David Hume? Hume says, Reason is, and not only to be, the slave of the passions. Someone who hasn't responded yet? Okay, so. Yep. Yeah. Everyone
1: has, like, different passions, and if, if you only uh, go for like, what you're going for, like, um uh,
0: No, oh, that's great. Uh, concise, to the point. Um, I don't think you added a lot to what the guy said. And since when they went first, I'm going to give them the point. Um, but, but still a good answer. Now, I've always thought just the opposite. That uh, the the reason should be in charge of the passions. And that that's why God has given us reason, is to control our passions. Uh, interesting to hear someone say that the opposite is what's supposed to be true. Yeah. Um, also, I think it's it's hard to do that. It's hard to think that way because your passions change like from day to day. We can do right. That. Yeah. So like today, you may be this passion, and so you're whatever is that. But then tomorrow, is something completely different. Yeah. And so not even you could conflict with other people in the world, but you can plot conflicting with, with yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Because oh, our yeah. passions change so much. That's great. Uh, yeah. Can you restate the quote? Because yeah. I did not get that interpretation. Reason is, and ought only to be, the slave oh, of the passion. I thought
1: it said ought not to only be. Yeah. That's why I was... There's the key, yeah. To we'll touch on Levi's uh, statement with the, uh, our reason change from day to day, as it referenced in Francis Schaeffer's uh, video, one day you may be feeling, oh yeah, my, my emotions are telling me
0: that I'm going to get out of my car and help this grandma across the street. My yeah. <laughs> 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 emotions... Next thing, we're not. <laughs> yeah, so that's why we want to be ruled by reason. And we want other people to be ruled by reason. so They don't run us over with their car because they're having a bad day. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. All right, next one.
0: Back to the being first here. No single statement can get at reality. Our understanding of truth is always evolving. No statement of truth can get at reality. Our understanding of truth is always evolving. Respond to that statement. No single statement can get at reality, our understanding of truth is always evolving. Alright, gals, uh, who hasn't answered a question yet? (laughs) Alright. Basically, that statement equals a combination of itself, which is the leader. So basically, if you can leave that one, you can leave that truth to that the
1: answer.
0: Okay, self refuting statement, good. Uh, Guys, who wants to respond to the idea that no single statement of truth can teach reality? Our view of truth is always evolving. If truth were evolving, our truth were
1: evolving. Someone's truth could evolve faster than someone else's. Meaning everyone's truth would be different. And that would be absolute chaos. But God made truth. And so if we all have our own truth, that's not God's truth. And so if you believe in God, you're going to have God's truth, not your
0: truth. And your truth doesn't evolve from God's truth. Okay, good. Uh, one thing I think that you could... Uh, one th- thought that comes to my mind as you're talking is that if if truth is always evolving... Uh, through this process, you could say, well, some cultures are you know, superior and have a closer understanding of truth because they've evolved more. I like how you brought that evolution concept of, of more evolution and that our, our culture is very allergic to the idea of one culture being better than another. And so you could use that against them uh, to say, well, if that's true, then one culture could be better than another. And like, Oh, no, I, I don't want that to be true. Uh, so, yeah, uh, very good thought there. I thought the girls were a little bit more uh, concise and a little bit more on track <laughs> with uh, what, what Schaefer would have said. But your answer was very thought-provoking. I'm a team. What's that? Oh, sorry. Um, Alright. This is great. You guys are doing great. I am enjoying this. Uh, who was it that uh, was the philosopher whose ideas represented in that last statement? Who was the philosopher whose idea is represented by saying, no single statement gets at reality, but our understanding of truth is always evolving. Yes, remember? If you can guess it, I'll give you a point. <laughs> yeah. Nope. I mean, he was influenced. He, the, this guy influenced Marx.
1: So
0: you're not way off. Hegel. Uh, Hegel's dialectic. You guys remember the Hegelian dialectic? The Hegelian dialectic says that you've got one statement of truth, the thesis, challenged by the antithesis, and that those fight it out, like the survival of the fittest, to form a, a new synthesis. That synthesis becomes the new thesis, which then is challenged by its antithesis, and that whole struggle of ideas. It's kind of the evolution of ideas, survival of the fittest type of idea. That's Hegel. All right. Uh, next one. The Bible has a lot of mistakes in it, but you can still have an amazing religious experience by reading it. Respond to that statement. The Bible has a lot of mistakes in it, but you can still have an amazing religious experience by reading it. It has mistakes,
1: life. It doesn't have contradictions. It has mistakes but it doesn't ever contribute to itself. Hey, I don't know what it is, but I saw it on this new app, and so I doubt It's called the Bible. Can you imagine if they advertised the out like this? This amazing (laughs) (laughs) new religious (laughs) experience. (laughs) It's download now. (laughs) 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 The mistake new players make is they try to catch the dragon egg at first, instead of the the mistake new viewers have, they try to take on the Old Testament first. An
0: experience. experienced player, an experienced reader, would need to read the Old Testament until they have a firm understanding of Jesus Christ. Yeah. All right, guys. Who's my volunteer to respond to? The Bible has a lot of mistakes in it, but you can still have an amazing religious experience by reading it. Yeah. Can I give an example of some of the mistakes? Oh, you know, uh, the the Bible's an ancient book, and so some of the morals that you find in the Bible are a little outdated. They're part of its time. Some of the historical things in the Bible probably didn't actually happen, but you know, still a lot of good stuff.
1: Can I, just my
0: book? <laughs> Can I actually get one mistake in the Bible? Oh, uh, okay. Um, well, uh, you know, like in the Gospels, you've got different accounts like the gospel of John it's got Jesus cleansing the temple at the beginning of his ministry but in the other gospels it's at the end of his ministry and that would be such an important event in the life of Christ with, that would have had so much hostility that it's kind of like saying you know that we stormed the beach of Normandy at the beginning of the war and at the end of the war it's just not very likely that both of those are true. You know, <laughs> I do believe with the Bible being influenced and written by the Holy Spirit, that
1: it does not have major flaws. It may have slight flaws in timelines and other stuff, but that could also be attributed to multiple people writing multiple
0: books. Good. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. Can I add to that? Nope. One person (laughs) has (laughs) done. Gals, the Bible has a lot of mistakes in it. Sorry. But still, great religious book. Love reading it. Okay, yeah, yeah, good, good line of thought. Um, guys got go first, and since the answers are very similar, I'm going to give the guys the point. Um, now, there's two ways that you can go at this question, okay? And you both kind of took the same approach, in that uh, challenging the assumption that the Bible has a lot of mistakes in it. Uh, that's probably not the best way to, to go at this, although it's a good thing to do. The, the real problem here is a philosophical problem. The philosophical problem is, is that our religious experience is, can be based on what? Anything. If the Bible has a lot of mistakes in it, well, you know, you can get a great religious experience from taking LSD. Why not do that? Uh, you can get a great religious experience by uh, reading the Book of Mormons. Why not do that? You know, if you're going to just judge something based upon the religious experience that it gives you, well, then you're left with this problem of how do I know if it's true? Right? And so you want to attack the idea itself that a religious experience can have meaning apart from objective truth, objective reality. Right? Um, who was the theologian who popularized or pioneered this idea that even if the Bible is not historically accurate or has lots of things that are not relevant to the modern world, that it's still very important as a religious book. Who was that? Anybody know from the, from the chapter? Did he writes a book, like, uh, I don't
1: remember his name, but he wrote a book like Finding Historical Jesus or
0: something. Yeah, you're on the right track. Uh, that was Schweitzer, Albert Schweitzer. And he did believe that the Bible had these historical mistakes in it. Um, and so... I I was attributing this quote more to Karl Barth and Neo-Orthodoxy. The, the traditional liberals, they thought that they could demythologize the Bible and find the historical Jesus. And that then they'd have you know, a good Christian religion based upon this rational approach to the Bible. Karl Barth said, no, no, no. Uh, the, 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 I, the goal here is not to get back to the historical Jesus that's this you know, modern conception Uh, demythologizing the Bible, you take the Bible as it is and you allow the the mythological person in the Bible to give you this religious experience. So Barth went a little bit further. Uh, He was the next development of this rational approach to the Bible where he kind of took the, the, the philosophy of existentialism. The existentialist said, well, we've given up on the idea of finding truth, so we can just make up truth whatever we want. And we, we decide for ourselves what is meaningful. And so Karl Barth basically did that with the Bible. He said, well, let's give up on finding the historical Jesus. That's not important. Instead, we just get a religious experience uh, by reading the Bible. Um, and so there is a difference between the Schweitzer type of approach and the Barth type of approach. Hopefully that's helpful. It's something I'm still figuring out, too. Um, all right, we've got a little bit of time left. Let's see if we can do a couple more. Uh, the gals go next. Yeah. Oh yeah. If we've already gone through everybody, then uh, it's back open to anybody. Um. All right. Let's get back to the one we started off with earlier that I said we were gonna do. Respond to this statement: Atheism is not a belief; it's a lack of belief. Atheism is no more a world view than not believing in the tooth fairy or believing that Elvis is still alive. Elvis is still alive. <laughs> He's dead. Why you gotta spoil Spoiler alert. Atheism isn't a belief; it's a lack of belief. It's no more a world view than not believing in the tooth fairy or not believing that Elvis is still alive. All right, gals. Atheism is not a belief. It's a lack of belief. It's no more a worldview than someone who doesn't believe in the tooth fairy or doesn't believe that Elvis is still alive.
1: Okay, so.
0: I... Quiet down, guys. Listen up. If I don't.
1: Lack of belief that you're there, but it's still a belief that you're not there. I mean, it takes just as a leap of imagination as saying that God is there, as believing
0: and hoping that He's not. Okay, very good, Uh, guys. Who wants to respond? To the assertion that atheism isn't a belief, it's a lack of belief. It's just like not believing in the tooth fairy. And we don't say, you know, you're you're an anti-tooth fairyist. And that's not a, a world view. Uh, so, what do you say? Uh, I would say athe- atheism
1: uh, is a belief of not believing in God. Because to know that there is no God, believe that there is not a God, you have to be all-knowing. And that would put yourself in the position of being a God, therefore have you.
0: Good, yeah, very good. Uh, both good answers. Um, maybe I'm biased because the guys are behind, but I'm going to give them the points. <laughs> <laughs> keep it close here, you know, exciting. Yeah. Um, I don't know, I love your answer, but Hockham was more concise. Yeah. Now, here's one way that you could respond to this question as well. A belief in the tooth fairy is not consequential uh, for uh, understanding of the nature of reality and the understanding of what it means to be human and uh, ethics and all the important things that are the big questions in life. Um, If there's a tooth fairy, if there's not a tooth fairy, is, is not going to really change the ethical system or the structure of our society. Whereas, whether or not God exists... Uh, God is the most important concept that could be conceived of, and so it has great consequences, and therefore the lack of belief in God is a belief system because of the foundational nature of that particular truth. It doesn't really matter whether, whether Elvis is still alive, it does matter whether or not God exists, and it has a huge impact on how we view humanity and life, all right? So that's another way of going at it. It's attacking the comparison. This is uh, not a proper comparison between God existing and Elvis being alive. Um, right, let's do one more here. Uh, We've got just a few minutes left. The meaning of my life is whatever I choose to make meaningful to me. The meaning for my life is whatever I choose to make meaningful to me. Let's see, who went first last time? The girls did. So guys, go first this time. The meaning for my life is whatever I choose to make meaningful for me. Jeffrey Is that you, Jeffrey? <laughs> Can you repeat your question? Uh, meaning for my life is whatever I choose to make meaningful for me. That's not a good lifestyle. Body positivity! That's all I gotta say. That's, that's not, not healthy. <laughs> <laughs> I Do you agree with the
1: statement? Well, the I mean, I, I do agree with the like statement.
0: The no, I don't agree <laughs> with the choice that follows it, <laughs> but I agree <laughs> with a statement. Yeah, there's a su- subjective truth you there, yourself,
1: right? and it's meaningful and it's healthy to eat five cookies after breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But then it's all you to eat with cookies after breakfast, lunch, and dinner. There you go. You're the captain so you're of your face. the master of your universe. Even though to everyone else it's healthy, <laughs> and it's actually
0: unhealthy and it's going to cause... Don't believe that. That's just the stuff. man trying to that's keep you in. That's just people talking about
1: this. No, I, myself... Yes. Rise up right. and <laughs> I don't care
0: about science and all these smart people telling me all this is unhealthy. Why are you pointing at me when you're saying <laughs> that? <laughs> I'm kind of concerned. All right. Do we have a volunteer? Did you yeah. want to? No. Uh, no. Who, who no. wants to answer this no. one? Wesley. Oh, What's up? You
1: got it. You're going for it.
0: All right. I'm sending it with my cookies analogy. Yep. All right. Your cookies analogy. Oh, my. Right. Ha! Levi's cookie analogy. Your appropriated cookie analogy. Right, so go ahead. <laughs> now, if you got.
1: Cookies and you think that cookies are going
0: to make you a bodybuilder? That is your belief, stating that you think that cookies have that power. But they have the power the the to build chicken. fat. Is the using the fat fat is part of the body. So bodybuilding. that's <laughs> 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 All right. Thank you. Uh, yeah, that, was, that was quickly ended. Meaning for my life is what I choose to make meaningful for me. purpose So the purpose doesn't change, but things that are meaningful to me do. So you're drawing a distinction between what is objective purpose versus subjective meaning Okay. Uh huh. Uh huh. It's good. Uh, both good answers. Um, Give it to the girls. I think they're We're out of time. No, it's it's I'll go down. Try. Try. No. The gals win today. No. Very close. Very close. Clever. I will send out your assignment via email. Have a good week. Thank, Thank you. So, we have a question.